Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com renew to learn more. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, everybody? Greg Ehrenberg here from Stochastic.com. It is Friday. We just finished up Wayne's, which means that I'm about to be breaking down Saturday's UFC card. And uh, very rare that we're going to be having a title fight on a free fight night card. And that is going to be the case. So for Mexican Independence Day, Champion Alexa Grasso defends her belt against Valentina Shevchenko. So we're going to break all that down here in a second. Shout out to DraftKings Rainmakers, who is sponsoring the show today. If you guys haven't checked out Rainmakers yet, free starter packs you can get to build up your collections. There's a PGA starters pack. There's also an NFL starters pack. Links to that below in the description box. And as you guys come in, if you could do me a favor, like the video and subscribe to the YouTube channel. I'll start breaking down all these fights, going fight by fight. We'll talk about it from a classic DraftKings contest perspective. I'll talk about Rainmakers a little bit. And then also, I have uh, one bet that I've placed so far for this card. So I'll hit on that as well. But let's start getting into it, starting with the main event, Alexa Grasso against Valentina Shevchenko. And it's funny, we're coming off an event where Israel Adesanya ends up losing to Sean Strickland. It's being called one of the biggest upsets in UFC history. But what's funny about it is it's not even the title fight that ended up with the biggest odds upset. That goes to Valentina Shevchenko against Alexa Grasso when they fought in, what was it, March that they ended up fighting? Let's see, the first fight between them, I think it was March. It was, yeah, March 4th when we saw Alexa Grasso upset Valentina Shevchenko. Shevchenko was around a minus 1,000 favorite in that fight. Compared to last week, we had Izzy as a minus 700 favorite. And uh, at least for last week, I wasn't expecting Sean Strickland to win. I don't really know of anybody who was outright picking Strickland. But one thing that really dealt me be profitable last week is that I did fade Izzy. I had 0% exposure to him in large field tournaments. So that was definitely something that helped some of my lineups out. For this weekend, we'll break down the Shevchenko-Grasso fight right here. But first, I think we have to look at what ended up happening in their first fight and how did Alexa Grasso end up winning because I expect a different result this time around. In the first fight, we saw a pretty competitive first round, really could have gone either way between the two of them. Significant strikes landed were very similar between the two, 24 for Grasso, 26 for Shevchenko. I think you could definitely make a case that Grasso is doing more of the significant damage on the feet, though, and learning, landing some of the bigger strikes. But then what happens in the second and third round is Shevchenko realizes that she was able to take down Grasso without really too much resistance. She goes two of two on takedowns in each of the second and third rounds, holds three minutes of control time in the second round, two and a half minutes of control time in the third round. To me, that's really the key to this fight. If Shevchenko looks back at the last fight and realizes, boy, I had a lot of wrestling and grappling success, and it was something that Alexa Grasso didn't really have answers to in the second and third round, 
I think Shevchenko just repeat the game plan from those two rounds, go out, wrestle, try to grapple, hold Alexa Grasso down. And if she does, not only do I expect her to win and look like a big favorite, but she put up a massive DraftKings score. In their first fight, even in a loss, Shevchenko ended up scoring over 80 fantasy points. But now let's look at the fourth round where Shevchenko ultimately ends up getting finished. At this point in the fight, Shevchenko is no longer hunting for takedowns at the same rate. She went 0 for 1 on takedown attempts, but she had more success in the stand-up at this point, probably because Grasso was more aware of the takedown. So Shevchenko was winning the fourth round up until she isn't. She gets sloppy on the feet, ends up turning her back to Grasso after throwing a spinning, uh, it was like a spinning wheel kick. Grasso takes her back, ends up submitting Shevchenko towards the tail end of the fourth round there. If it is not for that ill-advised kick by Shevchenko, she ends up winning the fight and she's still the champion right now. And from what we saw in that fight, I really do favor Shevchenko to end up winning. Probably my biggest reservation about betting Shevchenko on the money line is just the fact that she's now 35 years old. And that's a little bit of a concern. She also has had a couple of fights as of late that have been more competitive than some of her earlier fights in the division, like the Talia Santos fight. That was one that I think you arguably could have said Santos ended up winning. So uh, I'm not going to go out and bet Shevchenko on the money line, but for DraftKings purposes, she's going to be my most rostered fighter. I'm going to be really heavy on Valentina Shevchenko. I don't think Grosso is unplayable, but I'm going to be much heavier on the Shevchenko side and getting much less exposure to Alexa Grosso. I'll be underweight to the field on her. Co-main event, Kevin Holland against Jack Della Maddalena. And there is a ton of ownership coming into Jack Della Maddalena. And also we're seeing this reflected in the the betting line as well, where this fight is now at the time I am recording. Let's see. Jack Della Maddalena has gone from about a pick to now being a like minus 150 favorite. He's minus 150 at FanDuel. He's minus 145 at DraftKings at the time I'm recording. So considering where this price, where this fight is priced, $8,300 for Jack Della Maddalena. The field is getting to JDM really heavily right now. We actually have Jack Della Maddalena projected for 40% ownership. That is too high, in my opinion, because I think this is a fight that should primarily play out on the feet because Kevin Holland holds massive, massive wrestling and grappling advantages in this fight, but he never uses it. So I think it's going to take place on the feet. And if that's going to be the case... Jack Della Maddalena is kind of dependent on a finish to score really well, and that's just not something that happens to Kevin Holland generally. If you look at the losses that Holland has had, technically this is a TKO loss against Wonderboy Thompson, but it was a broken hand that got called off in between the fourth and the fifth round. He gets subbed against Hamzat Chemaev. He's not getting subbed by Jack Della Maddalena. It would have to be a KO. And then look at all the losses for... Holland over the course of his career, like he's never actually been knocked out before, which I kind of think is what Jack Dallamadalena needs to do to put up a really big DraftKings score. So considering where it's priced, 8,300 and 7,900, you know, I get that it's a playable mid-range price, uh, mid-range fight where if somebody even scores, you know, 80, 85 points, that could be enough to land in an optimal lineup. But considering what the ownership is, I'm more apt to play Kevin Holland in what I view to be a very close to 50-50 fight because Jack Dallamadalena projected for north of 40% ownership, whereas Kevin Holland right now is projected for 23% ownership. So close competitive fight. I'll take Kevin Holland in DFS for the leverage as my preferred tournament option. The next fight here, we have 
Raul Rosas Jr. taking on Terrence Mitchell. And listen, it's Mexican Independence Day. What they're trying to do here is they're trying to get Raul Rosas the most favorable matchup possible. They put him in a prime spot on the card, third to last fight on the entire night, going up against Terrence Mitchell, who just showed to have deficiencies in the defensive grappling against Cameron Simon. So in that fight, Simon goes two of two on takedown attempts, ends up holding a minute 37 uh, seconds of control time, and then is able to get a finish via ground and pound over Terrence Mitchell. Something else too about Mitchell in that fight, he looked pretty decent in the early going, but his cardio lasted maybe 60 seconds. And then he had totally shot his wad and nothing left in the tank. So as far as Rosas goes, I expect him to run through Terrence Mitchell once Mitchell starts to fatigue a little bit. Could be competitive for the first minute or two. And then after we see Mitchell start to drop off, I think Rosas lands takedowns at will. Eventually, probably gets Mitchell out of there with a submission. Late first round, maybe early second round. So picking Rosas to win, one thing that is uh, definitely a little bit concerning for classic contests, $9,600 price tag for Rosas. That's a really steep price to pay. And on a card where there is a ton of massive favorites, if you're looking at just the betting lines for this card, we've got, you know, Shevchenko is a minus 170-ish favorite in the main event. You've got Jack Dallamadalena, who's like minus 150 in the co-main. Beyond that, every single fight other than the, uh, also the Tracy Cortez, Jasmine Jazadavicious, that's close to a pick Every other fight has somebody who's like north of a minus 200 favorite. The point being, it's going to be hard to comfortably spend up for a lot of these expensive options. I think a lot of my lineups are going to be built more so in like the mid to high upper end range. So Russ is a great play. Like I really like him for Rainmakers purposes, but I don't know that I'm going to be able to get to him as much as the Fielding Classic contest where he's projected for 45% ownership right now. And it's just hard to find the salary savings I really like. Daniel Zell Huber taking on uh, Chris Jos Yagos here and Zell Huber, $8,800. He's somebody that I think has some upside that you could get for a little bit more of a fr- affordable price point than Rosas. Sub 30% ownership coming in at Zell Huber, sub 9K price tag as well, taking on Yagos. And uh, Yagos, somebody who's dangerous early. He's also capable of landing takedowns in the early going, which is something we haven't really seen Zell Huber have to deal with. So I think that of all of the uh, bigger favorites that we have on the card, Zell Huber is probably one of the ones that's more likely to be upset just due to some of the unknowns as far as the defensive wrestling and grappling here because Yago lands 3.16 takedowns per 15 minutes on paper. Sure, Zell Huber has a 91% takedown defense, but who has he fought, right? He hasn't fought anybody that we really view as a significant takedown threat. He's fought Lucas Almeida on the contender series. He's fought Trey Ogden. He fought Lando Venata, and he looked great against Venata. He looked terrible against Trey Ogden. So uh, Zell Huber, I think there's a pretty wide range of outcomes for him. He's proven to be uh, not the most trustworthy fighter. But I think this is a pretty good fight to target. Zell Huber, as somebody who has a lot of finishing equity, if the version of him shows up, the same guy who showed up against Lando Venata, who's just uh, on fire in the first round, was Zell Huber. And then Chris Josiagos, on the other hand, if we get the version of Zell Huber that uh, looks like shit, like the one against Trey Ogden, who just wasn't pulling the trigger, wasn't really doing much, just kind of standing there and staring at his opponent, really low output, landing 52 significant strikes in a three-round decision then Yagos can end up winning this fight and maybe ends up landing takedowns as well. So very few cheap live underdogs. And I think Yagos is somebody who's worth having in the player pool. And then a good fight to target as well, because I think Zell Huber has finishing equity. Another fight that I think we should be targeting both sides of, Fernando Padilla against Kyle Nelson. And Kyle Nelson in his last fight against Blake Builder was somebody else who came through as a really, really massive underdog. 
But something about Fernando Padilla is that he fights very, very aggressively. And Kyle Nelson does not have the best cardio. So some of the fights we've seen from Kyle Nelson, he got uh, finished by Diego Ferreira. That was a fight where he gassed out in the first round. He ends up getting finished by Matt Sales. That was also a fight where he ended up gassing in the second round. He fights Marco Polo Reyes. That fight ends in a minute. So cool. He didn't end up gassing there. Gasses against Bill and Qu- Billy Quarantillo. And then seem to kind of change his style and say like, hey, if I'm getting tired in these fights, you know how I could counter that? I do fuck nothing. I just stand here and uh, be really low output. And that's what he does against Jai Herbert. Herbert ends up winning decision, but it was fairly close because nothing happened on either side. And then another fight here against uh, Duho Choi where not a ton ended up happening, although Kyle Nelson did land five takedowns in that fight. But I think Padilla is just going to force action out of Kyle Nelson because look at the numbers for... Padilla. Padilla lands 11.88 significant strikes per minute, absorbs 8.91. It's a small sample size because not like we've seen him fight all that much in the UFC. We've only seen him fight once against Julian Arosa, ends up finishing him in the first round. But everything we've seen out of Padilla is that he's very aggressive on the feet, which means that Kyle Nelson is not going to be able to implement the same strategy that he's had from the last couple of fights where he just kind of stands around and tries not to gas out. I think Padilla is going to force the action, which is going to make this fight a pretty good one to target. Nelson has some power. He's dangerous in the early going. And if he does not win the first round, or I should say if he doesn't get a finish in the first round, I think he probably tires and Padilla ends up uh, finishing him there. So uh, good fight to target on both sides. As far as the current expected ownership, we have Padilla projected for 37% ownership. And then Kyle Nelson on the other side projected for 18.5% ownership at the moment. Fight that I think makes sense to be a little bit different to pay up to be contrarian. Lupi Godinez taking on Elise Reed. This is also the uh, one fight that I've bet on so far for the card. I have Lupi plus 340 to win by submission. I bet that over on FanDuel. That was the best price I was able to find at the time that I was placing that bet. And if you look at Lupi's numbers, she lands 3.43 takedowns per 15 minutes. She's proven to be a capable wrestler and grappler. But here's what happens in a lot of her fights. If she does not land takedowns immediately with early success, she gets kind of disheartened and will give up on her wrestling and just kind of stand and trade and keep the fight on the feet. And she's a capable striker as well. But in this matchup against Elise Reed, Elise Reed has no takedown defense. She has no ground game. So I think we could see this fight look kind of like the Ariane Conorlosi fight where Lupi lands eight takedowns in that fight. The fight against Luma Luke Bumi, somebody else who, by the way, Luma Luke Bumi was able to dominate Elise Reed in the wrestling and grappling, which is what Lupi did to Luma Luke Bumi. So with that in mind, Lupi Godinez, I think that we should see her find wrestling grappling success against Elise Reed. On paper, Elise Reed has a 50% takedown defense. If you look at her last fight that I had mentioned, or actually two fights ago now, against uh, Luma Luke Bumi, Luke Bumi lands two takedowns, ends up submitting her. And like I said, Godinez, better wrestler, better grappler than Luke Bumi. So I think we should see her land takedowns here against Elise Reed. And I'm picking her to win by submission, plus 340. I think it's pretty favorable odds. And by the way, just once again, getting back to the fact that she's capable of wrestling and grappling. And when she finds success, she sticks with it. When she doesn't, she'll give up on it. Like we said, five takedowns against Luke Bume, eight takedowns against Carnalosi. Against Angela Hill, she attempts some takedowns, but she goes one of three and then just goes, all right, I'm not going to do this anymore because she didn't land takedowns immediately. Against Cynthia Calvia, she goes 0 for 2 on takedowns, gives up on it. And then in her last fight against Emily Ducati, 
She goes one for three on takedowns. Once again, doesn't land takedowns, just kind of gives up on it. Elise Reed doesn't defend takedowns well. So I think this is one of the fights where she should land those takedowns early. Stick with it. It's her easiest path to victory. Picking her to win by submission. And also, as far as DraftKings purposes go, we've got Rosas projected for north of 40% ownership, as well as Charlie Campbell projected for north of 40% ownership. They are expected to be two of the three most popular fighters on the card. The only one we would project for more ownership is Valentina Shevchenko. She's priced in the mid-range in the main event. That's the reason why she ends up being as popular as she is. I'm going to be overweight to the number we have on uh, Shevchenko, which is around 50% projected ownership. But considering all the ownership that's going to Rosas and Campbell, we only have Lupi projected for around 30% ownership. I think she might even come in lower than that number. So I like her as a payup option to be a little bit contrarian, get away from Rosas and Charlie Campbell. I think Lupi has uh, comparable upside to those fighters. I think that she could have a fight where, kind of like against Carnelos, she might land like eight takedowns, get a submission in the second or third round, put up a monster DK score. Love her for Rainmakers as well. She's been crazy undervalued all week. Some of her core cards, they were going for as cheap as like $2.10, It's a massive undervalue of her on the secondary market. So uh, Lupi, somebody who I'm picking to win. Roman Kopilov against Josh Fremd. We have all these massive favorites on the card, and you know some of them we're going to have to pick to be underway to the field too. One of them for me is going to be Roman Kopilov, who is projected for 33% ownership right now. And the main reason being for me on Kopilov is that he's kind of a slow starter. He hits very hard. He does a lot of damage early, but we have seen a lot of his first rounds where just not a lot happens. So look at the fight against Claudio Ribeiro last time out. He does get the second round finish, but look at the strike numbers. First round, he lands 30 significant strikes. Actually gets outstruck numerically, 31 to 30 in that fight. Gets a finish in the second round, but still, it's not like a massive DraftKings score. He put up, you know, 60 total strikes, so that's... 12 fantasy points. So like he got about 90 fantasy points out of Kopilov. He's typically not looking to wrestle and grapple. And in this fight here against Josh Fremd, where I think Fremd is probably going to get hurt on the feet, but if Kopilov doesn't get him out of there in the first round, he's just dead for the optimal lineup when you consider all these other payoff options that we have on the slate. So Kopilov north of 9K, he's somebody I'm going to be undercutting the field to, not because I don't pick them to win or anything like that, but there's just so many massive favorites and I'm prioritizing other fighters before getting to Kopilov. Like I'd rather play Lupi Godinez, for instance, at a lower projected ownership than Kopilov. And I think that's one way that we could look to differentiate lineups. So I'll be underway to the field on Kopilov and from not an underdog, I have all that much interest in. This is a fight that I really do like to target. Edgar Chárez against uh, Daniel Lacerda, the current betting odds on this. The fight is minus, let's see, what is it to finish inside the distance now in the most recent betting odds? So we have this fight is, well, Charas himself is minus 150 to win inside the distance. And the fight as a whole, last I looked, was something like minus 300. To finish inside the distance, it is currently sitting at, as the odds are loading on my screen, this fight is, yeah, actually considerably more, yeah, it is now up to minus 600 to finish inside the distance. I might be misremembering what the opening line was, because I'm seeing it now, the opening line was minus 500. Neither here nor there. Charas against Daniel Lacerda, this fight is going to finish early, in all likelihood, when you consider what those betting odds are. 
Shara's at $8,700 is a great option because of what we're talking about before. It's hard to find a lot of underdogs to really feel confident in. So you get these fighters in like the mid 8K range that have potential to score just as many fantasy points as the Rosas's, as the Charlie Campbell's. One of those fighters is Edgar Shara's at $8,700, just like Padilla, also at a sub 9K price tag because this fight is so likely to finish inside the distance. But on the other side too, you've got Daniel De Silva Lacerda, who in our ownership projections is projected for sub 20% ownership. He is an underdog. If he wins, he's going to be in the optimal lineup. He's going to put up a massive score in all likelihood. That's the most likely result for a fight that's, you know, minus 600 to finish inside the distance. And he got an underdog here at $7,500. If he wins, probably scoring somewhere around 100 fantasy points, optimal. So I think this is a great fight to target. I pick Charez to win because he's been somebody who's looked better during the time we've seen him in the UFC. I know that he lost his last fight against Tetsuro Tyra, but I kind of thought it was a good-looking loss. I'm like, it was a loss where his stock went up. He's able to drop Tyra. The issue he had was just super low fight IQ. He had Tyra hurt. He was winning the striking, but he was engaging in some of these grappling situations that uh, were just not the most favorable path for him to win that fight. And Tyra was something like a minus 700, minus 600 favorite in that bout. And if they were to run it back, after what we saw in the first fight, like, what, Tyra's going to be like minus 200 or something like that. So I thought Tyra's had a pretty good account of himself in that fight. And as for Lacerda, he's shown to be an action fighter, but gets finished a lot. UFC debut, fights against Jeff Molina, gets finished in the second round. Fight against Francisco Figueredo. This is a fairly shitty loss because I don't rate Figueredo very well at all, but still, he ends up getting submitted in a minute, lands a takedown, gets reversed, Figueredo submits him. Has a fight against Victor Altamirano. Absolute war on the feet. Lacerda gets in and gets uh, Altamirano into some trouble early. Ends up landing a knockdown. Almost has him finished. And then Altamirano rallies back. Ends up finishing Lacerda in the first round. But look at the output here. Altamirano, 58 significant strikes landed in the first round. Lacerda, 22. Fight against CJ Vergara. Same deal. Lacerda looks terrific in the first round. Two knockdowns. Gases. Vergara finishes him. Lacerda's very live for a first-round finish in this fight. If he doesn't, he probably gets finished himself in the second round. Love this fight for tournament purposes. Picking Charez to win. I think Lacerda, somebody else who you could definitely look at for Rainmaker's purposes. His cards on the secondary market, the core ones, are like 20 cents, 25, 30 cents. His rare cards are like a buck 50. So somebody who has a lot of upside, you could play for Rainmaker's. And I like him as an underdog. And for some leverage purposes in DraftKings, I'm going to be overweight to both sides of this fight. Going to be overweight to Lacerda, which is not difficult to do. If you play five lineups and you have Lacerda in one of them, you're overweight to the field on him based on his projected ownership. And then on the other side uh, with, with Charez, you know, pretty modest projected ownership for him as well at $8,700. Really good fight to target. Tracy Cortez against Jasmine Jazza DeVicious. This is not a fight that I'm going to be actively targeting all that much. It is priced in the mid-range, $8,200 for Tracy Cortez, $8,000 for Jasmine Jazza DeVicious. The problem, though, is that this is going to be two wrestlers going up against each other. We have uh, Tracy Cortez lands 2.8 uh, takedowns per 15 minutes and then 2.2 takedowns per 15 minutes landed by Jazz DeVicious. If one of them is able to take down the other, I, I don't really think that... I think it's going to be a lot of stalling positions. Like, if one of them takes down the other, I think it's probably a little more likely to be Tracy Cortez just because I think she's a little bit better of a well-rounded fighter. Than Jasmine Jazdavicious. I think that Cortez is a little bit faster, a little bit more athletic. Uh, I think she's a little bit better of a wrestler, a little bit better of a grappler, a little bit better of a striker. But at the same time, too, 
there's going to be a size advantage on Jazz Devicious, which could play a role. She's two inches taller. She's got a three-inch reach advantage. She figures to be more physically imposing. I think this is going to be a lot of a, a stalemate of a fight. I think it ended up taking place in the clinch a lot. If they're going to take place on the feet where neither of them could land takedowns, neither of them strike at a particularly high rate, each of them land sub four significant strikes per minute. So I think this is a fight that probably goes to decision. It's one of the only fights on the card that is favored to go to decision. It's also close to a pick So no real lean for me here and a fight that I don't have all that much interest in. couple of fights left to target. This one, Alex Reyes against Charlie Campbell. And we've got some weird fights that are kicking off the card. One being Charlie Campbell loses on Dana White's contender series, wins a fight on the regional scene, ends up getting a contract in the UFC after that. But, you know, there was a point in time where the contender series, not only did you have to win, you had to win impressively to get a contract. Then it kind of got to anybody who wins on the contender series typically gets a contract. Now we're at a point where you lose on the contender series and you might get a contract anyway, which is kind of where Charlie Campbell is at. And he's fighting Alex Reyes, who has not fought in the UFC in six years. His last fight. Nearly actually six years to the day, because I'm recording this on September 15th. So by the time this fight rolls around tomorrow, his last fight will have been September 16, 2017. Six years to the day that he last fought. And so like, what, what do you make of this guy when he hasn't fought in six years? He last fought in the UFC when he was 30. He's now 36 years old. There's so little information on him. And it's not like he hasn't even fought other places in between. He's been totally inactive. So we don't know what we're getting here. You have to pick Charlie Campbell to win just based on the fact that Alex Reyes has been so inactive. But I think it's worthwhile to take underdog shots on Alex Reyes just based on the fact that it's such an unknown and we don't know what else to do on the low end on this slate confidently. Come out with the fact that Alex Reyes is projected for 7% ownership in our ownership projections right now. So Campbell, I love him for Rainmaker's purposes. Great target. We don't have to worry at all about salary. For classic DraftKings contests, like, yeah, I'm picking Charlie Campbell to win, but still, he's $9,300. He's projected for 43% ownership. I'm going to be getting to him, but I'm probably going to be underweight to the 43% mark. And I'll take some shots on Alex Reyes just because of the unknown and the fact that he's 7% owned. If he wins, I expect him to be optimal, and I think he wins more often than, say, the 7% ownership he's expected for. Final fight on the card, Josephine Knutson taking on Marnik Mann. And another one here, man, she has also fought on the contender series and lost. So she fought against Bruna Bazil, who also does not look like a UFC caliber fighter. So uh, pretty bad looking loss for man there in hindsight. She's taking on Josephine Knudsen, who I think should have advantages everywhere in this fight. Here's the problem with DraftKings contest, though. She is $9,500. She's not going to be as popular as these other payup options, but I think it's for good reason. Because what we've seen out of Knutson in her two contender series fights, she lands less than three significant strikes per minute. She lands 2.5 takedowns per 15 minutes, which is nice. But she's not enough output to score well. Like if either of these fights were scored for DraftKings purposes, she'd be averaging like 75 DraftKings points. She's fairly safe, I think, to pick up a win. So another one, you know, her cards are $2. The core ones for Rainmaker's purposes, you want to pick one of those up for cheap, cool. But it's really hard for me to prioritize her for, for classic contests where she's super expensive and doesn't appear to be somebody who fights at a very high rate, nor is she somebody who's a potent finisher. You look at her fights, you know, road to the UFC, 34 significant strikes, four takedowns. Fight again in the contender series where she got a contract, she lands 53 significant strikes at takedown. Just not enough output for me to pay up that salary for her. So that's an overview of the slate. Went fight by fight here. We broke everything down and... 
tough card just because there are so many big favorites. There's going to be an upset or two that ends up, you know, blowing up the slate. So I'm hoping that I could hit on one of them. The ones that I'm going to be mixing in for cheap are Alex Reyes, Daniel Lacerda, Kyle Nelson is somebody else, and then then Christios Yagos. You know, don't have mass amount of confidence in any of them. I'm not going to tell you that I outright think any of them are going to win. And if I, if I was, I'd be betting these like plus 600, plus 500 underdogs. But I think that's the way you have to play this slate. You have to mix and match some of these cheap underdogs and hope one of them wins. Or maybe this might even be a slate where whichever cheap underdog loses but scores the most fantasy points in the loss, this uh, this would be a slate where I'm not, I would not be shocked if a loser ends up in the optimal lineup. So uh, good slate because it's going to be a fun card. There's a lot of good fights. Uh, but a tricky one to predict. So uh, good luck with all your lineups this weekend, guys. If you have any questions for me, hit me up on Twitter, leave a question in the replies, and I'll be checking those out uh, later on throughout the weekend. Good luck once again, guys. If you haven't done yet, like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. See you back here next week. Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, But you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com slash renew to learn more. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.